Good morning. Please have your Bibles open to Hebrews 12. When we become Christians, God does not wrap us up in bubble wrap and put fragile handle with care stickers on us. When we become elders or deacons or ministry leaders or preachers or Sunday schools, teachers, we don't enter a special environment that protects us from loss or trouble or hardship or fear or sin. There's a big target on our back and on our front, and Satan is shooting his arrows at us constantly. I'm so glad to see that so many of you came in your armor today because you know where we are and we know what is going on. Forgive me if I'm being judgmental, but if somebody thinks the Christian life is easy, then I have to ask myself if they're really living the Christian life. Because it's not. And we're not exempt from tears and from hardship. But the truth of the matter is, is that our experience of those things is not new. It's not something that is unique to us and to our times. It has been the lot of God's people of all times. Christians in the first century did not find it easy to live in their world and to be faithful before the Lord. Sometimes they faced persecution from their neighbors. And sometimes they lived in situations in which the government, government authorities were opposed to them and persecuted them. They were constantly pressured to live like non-Christians. To live according to the values of the world. The Christians on ancient Crete, which we read about in the book of Titus, had an especially difficult time because in the ancient world there were few places as ungodly and as immoral as ancient Crete. They were new Christians, and it's hard to give up sin when it's in your face every day, but that was what they were doing. There are a number of New Testament writings that address this problem of living faithfully in a hostile environment. A number of them give us encouragement to not give up, to not be discouraged, but to hold on and to be faithful. The Gospel of Mark, the book of Ephesians, 1 Peter, Revelation, do those things for us, and we do well to give heed to their teaching. The book of Hebrews is also written in that vein, written to these concerns. It's a letter that is written with tremendous urgency. It's not that this would be a nice thing to consider in their Sunday school classes if they got the opportunity one of these days. It is something that they needed to listen to when they received it. And they needed to give attention to what the writer was saying. The church that received this letter, this sermon, were being physically and publicly abused for their faith. Their personal property had either been destroyed or it had been stolen from them. Some members of the congregation had been imprisoned, and when others went to see them, they were imprisoned as well. Now, things had not gone so far that any of them had lost their lives, And evidently, everyone had remained faithful, but the troubles weren't over. The troubles were only getting worse. And some members of the congregation were counting the cost. And in counting the cost, they were wavering in their faith. 
And they were discouraged. And some of them had begun to think that it would be so much easier to go back to their former way of life. To go back to the way they lived before they met Jesus and became Christians. And our Heavenly Father knew what they were going through. He knew what they faced. He knew that they were weary. And so he gave the writer of Hebrews this letter, which he calls an exhortation, a word of encouragement in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 22. You and I don't face persecution, and it's not even on the horizon. But other things happen to us in the course of our life that challenges our faith. It is simply a fact of life that life has a way of wearing us down and making us weary. And sometimes, even if we don't express it in so many words, we, we feel a temptation to give up. We sometimes may find ourselves thinking, you know, it would just be a whole lot easier just to live like everybody else. And sometimes it just seems like joy is in short supply. You ever feel that way? That there isn't much joy in being a Christian or being part of the Lord's church? And there is a simple truth that all of us need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged to keep the faith and to hang in there and to keep living the faith. And so like those Christians, we need the exhortation that comes in this beautiful letter, this beautiful sermon. And I want us to just look at one small part of that exhortation this morning. It's the passage that follows the reading that we heard. Beginning in chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joys set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The first encouragement here is the encouragement to deal with whatever sin is in our lives. Look again at the first part of verse 1. Hebrews 11 gives us a long, long list of men and women who had lived lives of faith. Over and over and over, the writer of Hebrews tells us what they did by faith. It lists their accomplishments, which were all done by faith. How they put their lives in God's hands and they trusted him. They trusted God to keep promises and they kept on trusting him, even though they did not always live to see the promises fulfilled. And God's testimony for those people, his witness about these men and women in faith, is that the world was not worthy of such people. Do you hear what he's saying? The world is not worthy of people of faith who have lived by faith and lived by their trust in God. 
And he further declares in chapter 11, verse 16, that he is not ashamed of being the God of such people. Imagine that. God declaring that he's not ashamed to be our God. God remembered their faithfulness, and he remembered their faithfulness forever. But in chapter 12 and verse 1, the writer kind of shifts things from God giving them witness and testimony to them giving witness and testimony. These men and women of faith, these members of Faith's Hall of Fame, he calls a great cloud of witnesses. The long dead, these faithful people of God, continue to serve God and continue to serve me and you. The picture in these verses is that of athletic competition. The recipients of this letter, like ourselves now, stand, as it were, on the floor of a great stadium. We might think of the Olympic Stadium in Beijing or the Rose Bowl Stadium, only something on far greater and grander scale. And as we look up from the field to the heights of the stadium, there the seats are all filled with faces, and it's so high that we begin to, to be confused about individual faces. There are so many there. Every seat is full of God's faithful men and women, God's faithful witnesses, men and women whose example, who are examples of the kind of life that God wants his people of all time to live. These people, these men and women of faith, have already had their competition. They've already taken their turn on the track, as it were. And they have completed the race. But now they sit in this great and heavenly stadium, and it's like a cloud, a cloud of witnesses. They look to the race course. They look to the track, and what is it that they see? Well, the cloud of witnesses watch those brethren who received this letter in the first century. And now they watch you. And they watch me as we take our turn, as we run our race, our race of faith. And so since we have this great cloud of witnesses... Since we are surrounded by runners with victory wreaths on their head. Since they now watch us run the race. Did you see them do the wave for us? Did you stand up? Did you see them stand and cheer for us? Watch them and see. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us prepare to run. Let us prepare to run our race. The call is given to come to the starting blocks. And as we come to the starting blocks, the writer of Hebrews says, throw off everything that will slow you down, that will hinder you from running. This is an image that may get some boos, but you know, you just can't run a race in boots and gloves and scarves and winter coats. You just can't run very well in that kind of garb. We can't run faithfully if there are things in our lives that will hinder our faithful service to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus warns us that we cannot serve God and mammon. In Luke chapter 9, verse 58 to 62, Jesus warns that personal desires and social customs 
can be weights that will slow us down and keep us from running. In Luke chapter 14, in verse 26, Jesus warns that we cannot run the race of faith if we love our parents or our children or our brothers or our sisters or our husband or our wife, even our own life more than we love him. If you love them more, then you have weight that will keep you from running. And so they need to be set aside if we're going to run the race of faith. But in particular, the writer of Hebrews says, put off sin. Sin is a chain around our ankles. It binds us. It keeps us from running. It trips us. It makes us fall. Now, students of Hebrews very often want to to understand what particular sin the writer is concerned about. But he's not concerned about any one specific particular sin. He's considered about, concerned about all kinds of sin. Every kind of sin will hinder us and prevent us from running the race of faith. So the writer of Hebrews says, throw it off. Get rid of it. Confess it. Repent it. Get rid of the sins that entangle you. There's a race to be won. And you can't run it if your legs are wrapped in chains. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 assures us that it's possible for us to do that. In the newness of life which we have in Christ Jesus, we are in a position in which we can say no to sin, in which we can resist sin, in which we can fight back, in which we can overcome sin. So we can keep sin from entangling us. And keeping us from running. Of course, sin has its pleasures for a season. And some sin is difficult to resist. But rather than giving up and letting it bind us again, we need to seek God's help. And oh, we need to keep on fighting and resisting and saying no. So let's throw off those things that keep us from running faithfully. Let's throw off those sins that take up our energy and keep us from running free and unencumbered. Then we are encouraged to run with endurance. Look at the second half of verse 1. We are prepared to run by throwing off everything that hinders and sin that clings so closely. But now we come to the instructions for the race themselves. We need our energy. We need strength. For the race, we need God's energy, God's strength for the race. And we especially need to understand what kind of race it is that we are running. If our race as Christians, if the race of faith was a hundred meter dash, we would need power and strength for a single explosion of speed. Usain Bolt of Jamaica won the 100-meter dash in the Olympics in 9.69 seconds. I can't even think that fast. But how can he even fly? But the race of faith is not a 100-meter dash. And some Christians have stumbled and fallen because they thought that it was. They thought that as soon as they became Christians, it was over and they'd won. And didn't realize that it was more to it. The race of faith is a marathon. It's a marathon. The Olympic marathon was run by a Kenyan who ran it in two hours and six minutes and 32 seconds. 
Usain Bolt could have run that 100 meters 743 times in all that time. A marathon takes a long time to run. And the course isn't always easy. Well, the race of faith is not measured in meters or miles. It's not measured with a stopwatch. It's measured in years and it's measured in decades. And we have a long way to go to get to the finish line. A long way to go. Each stage of the race presents its own challenges and its own difficulties. Some days the race covers ground that is smooth and flat where the running is easy. But other days the race is uphill. And other times there are potholes and there are obstacles in the way. And to reach the finish line we must not forget We must forget what lies behind us and press on to what lies ahead. Some of the Christians who received this were young Christians, just like some of us. Their old life of sin was just barely behind them. There were other Christians who had been Christians for a long time. They had been in the race for a while. And you know, when you've been in the race for a while and you've got a bit farther to go, it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to slow down. It's easy to get tired and discouraged. And then there are some of them who are near the finish line. There are some of them with the eyes of faith can see the end of the race. We're almost there. And we might think that's a wonderful thing to be able to see the finish line, but... We all know that old age has its own doubts and its own fears, its own challenges, its own temptations to give up. The race doesn't get easier just because the finish line comes into sight. The writer tells us that the race course has been marked out for us. And it requires endurance. It requires commitment and sacrifice. It requires an attitude of heart that never, never, never gives up. That refuses defeat. That compels us in our weariest of moments to put one foot in front of the other and keep on going. Endurance is something that we draw from prayer and from feeding on God's Word. Endurance is something that we build up in worship. And in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Endurance is being faithful when every part of our being wants to quit and run away. When we're so weary that the best thing we could possibly do is lie down and give up. The race is long. And the course is not easy. There are mountains and valleys. There are trials and tribulations. There are joys and sorrows. But the promise of Jesus about the finish line is that to those who are faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. Not the royal diadem of a king, but the wreath of a victor. The wreath of the one that run the race. So how do we run with endurance? How do we run through this minefield of temptation and sin along the way? How do we run the course that passes through a hostile world with our weaknesses and our shortcomings and our failings and our burdens and troubles? How do you keep running? How do we find the endurance to keep going? 
Well, that's the final encouragement in verses 2 and 3. How do we run with endurance? We keep our eyes on Jesus. This great cloud of witnesses surrounds us and encourages us, and it includes the great men and women of faith. But, you know, as great as they were, and there are giants in this crowd. Think of an Abraham and an Isaiah and a Peter and a Paul. But as great as they are, none of them is Jesus. And none of them as runners are as good as Jesus. None of them blazed the trail for the race. He ran it first. He prepared the way. In his death on the cross, Jesus gives us the perfect example of faith and endurance. He endured the terrible pain of the cross, and he scorned its shame. And he endured it because of the joy that was set before him. He knew that his obedience would please his heavenly Father. And knowing that he would please his Father gave him joy. Jesus knew that his faithful obedience in going to the cross would make salvation possible, and that gave him joy. That made it possible for him to endure. He knew that when the race was done, heaven and his Father waited for him, and that gave him joy. And that joy was worth more to him than all that he had to endure, than all of the things that he had to suffer. But now his race is complete. And he doesn't sit in glory, although he has a place at his father's left, but he stands at the finish line. And he stands to welcome us when we get there. He endured all of this so that we might endure it when it is our turn to take to run the race. He endured all of these things so that we could keep running until the end. He went through the pain and the suffering and the insults and the abuse and the scorn of the cross, the shame of the cross, so that you and I could look at him and see what he endured and then not get weary or not become faint-hearted ourselves so that we would not lose heart, so that we would not lose our joy. Our writer's answer for dealing with sin and with suffering, for being faithful when it's easier not to be faithful, for staying in the race, is really simple. It's really simple. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. If your race brings you to a place where you have to decide between your involvement in the life of the church or involvement in things of the world, look at Jesus. If you have to decide how you're going to give or how you're going to serve, look at Jesus. What does His example say? If we're struggling with sin and we're struggling to overcome it, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because He will help. He will give you strength. He will help you to overcome. When the race is uphill and the going is tough and the burdens of life are too much, what help can Jesus give us? Keep your eyes fixed on Him and He will strengthen you. And He will help you to continue in the race. He has run the race Himself. He knows what it's like. And he will not let us run this race alone.
When we have decisions to make and it's unclear what course and direction to take, look to Jesus. What honor and praise can you give him in your decisions? When you just cannot run another step, when you're worn out, or if something has happened in your life that has knocked your feet out from under you, consider him. Consider what he endured at the hands of sinners, and you won't get weary, and you won't lose heart. Find joy in him. Find joy in his promise that he will be with us to the end. You will run the race. You will get to the finish line. Long, long ago, Isaiah gave this promise to some people who were in the race and were oh so weary. And what an incredible promise it is. We read in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 28. Have you not heard? Have you not known? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow weary or faint. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of encouragement to us today from the writer of Hebrews and the prophet Isaiah. Let's stand and sing our song of encouragement. And if you're here this morning and the race has you down and you need prayer, please come. We run with you. We know what it is. We'd love to pray with you. Come always stand and sing.